new year with you. Uh, we cook off the new year with also a, a new series this year. And um, we're a 10-year-old church. I thought, why not look at a book of the Bible that was written to a church that was about 10 years old? Uh, if you look back and you follow through the early church history, you get to Acts chapter 16. And a few weeks ago, we actually talked about Lydia, about the Philippian jailer, about the demon-possessed girl, and how God worked in mighty, mighty ways to plant a church. You know that my middle name is all about missions, so anytime we can talk about church planting and taking the Word of God with us to wherever God places us, I find that to be very exciting. Well, that's the situation that the church in Philippi started with. And that's where we're going to start today. You see, 10 years ago in February, uh, your church uh, called a 27-year-old young man and his very, very pregnant wife to come interview for a job. They were very content in a nice, cold, cold climate called Minnesota, uh, where there was lots of snow, but we, uh, the the person, not we, the person uh, flew over uh, and interviewed in just the windiest, most heavy seas condition. Uh, my poor wife was sick most of the trip because uh, you're really, it's not a good idea to travel across the world uh, with a seven month along pregnant wife. And if you weren't here then, I also had made a commitment to the youth group that I was a part of in the States that I wouldn't cut my hair till the kid was born. And so I just had massively huge hair. And I remember watching Uh, and looking around because I had been in Hong Kong before, but my wife never had. And our goal was to take a look around. We already felt that it was probably God that was leading us together. But what was the church going to be like? I had no idea of the history. I had no idea that in less than two months it was going to become a branch church. We were just looking around. And I remember thinking, a lot of things. Uh, and I, I tried to find some notes of uh, thoughts that I had back then, and all I wrote down was potential. I remember thinking the people are comfortable, they love each other. But in my mind, 10 years ago, I felt like there was so much hope for the future that we had wonderful people in good places that I felt like God was going to continue to work and shape this church as they moved forward. Whether I was a part of it or not had yet to be determined. So my wife and I went back. We were invited to join the church. We came with a two-month-old little baby. In the meantime, AIC was born. And we've been on a journey ever since. Three lead pastors in that time, uh, not our desire. We hope that uh, we can keep some lead pastors for a bit longer than that. But along the road, we've begun to cry out to God throughout every step of the process, Lord, Where will you take us? How can we be the church you've called us to be? Are we perfect? No, we have much to learn. I would probably write the same note in my notebook today that I did 10 years ago. We have great potential, and I pray that we will continue following where the Lord leads. But as I remember myself and thinking, wow, I have a lot to grow up in and change in, and still do, don't mistake that. I look at, the book of Philippians. They were started by a rich entrepreneur named Lydia. She was the first convert in Philippi. Then a Philippian jailer led uh, his family to meet Paul and they came to Jesus Christ. 
another miraculous healing took place and others came to follow Jesus and the church was formed. And it's exciting because over that time, we can see that good things happen. How do I know that? Well, if you think about the overall themes that some would say the book of Philippians is all about, they call it the book of joy. When the apostle Paul wrote the book of Philippians, he did so with great joy. Is joy the central focus of the book of Philippians? No. For the next year as we walk through it, yeah, it's going to take us at least a year to get through Philippians. Four chapters, but we're going to go and we're going to look carefully at what God's word has to say. But the theme isn't joy. The theme is the person of Jesus Christ. That everything in our life centers on him. And when we realize that all of our meaning, all of our lives are wrapped up in the person and work of Jesus Christ and him working mightily through us, we have no excuse but to be joyful, but to be thankful, but to count it all joy to follow wherever God leads. And as Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the joy of the fellowship of his sufferings, joining like him even in his death. Nothing else mattered to the apostle Paul except to make Jesus known and enjoy a relationship with him. A few months ago, uh, I was in the Philippines getting together with a, a wonderful church there, our, our church plant in Bulacan, and I had some time to kill, and so I walked on and I figured, you know what, it's probably about time I had my eyes checked. I haven't said anything, many of you have noticed I wear glasses now, have never really worn glasses in my life, but it was time I felt to get them checked, and I figured, why not do it in the Philippines? And I did, and I came out with glasses. That was not my intended result, and I hate them. <laughs> can't stand wearing them. But yet through that, it's amazing because there are some of you that I, I'm not going to call out by name, but I can see your faces in the back, which before you were just a blob. In the same way, we as a church have to pause and do a vision check. How are we doing? Not just can you recite that AIC exists as your orange bulletin says to glorify God by loving Christ, loving one another and reaching the world. I expect us to know that. That's just common sense. But beyond that, I expect us to live it out. And I believe Philippians was written to the church in Philippi, not just for Paul to be thrilled with how well they were doing, because there is some correction, some gentle reproof in the letter. But it was also written as a vision check. Don't lose sight of where you're going and who God has created you to be. You see, Philippi was a tremendously influential city. There was Rome, and then there was Philippi. Hugely influential, hugely Roman. Many Roman soldiers and Roman government workers would go live there. Uh, think about Hong Kong. Where do government workers go to retire? I, I don't know. But if they all kind of gathered together in one cushy spot that was well-located, but also that had a huge booming port. Hmm, sound familiar? that had tremendous economic influence over the whole region of Macedonia and beyond, that's what Philippi was. It was a strategic city dedicated to, honestly, the worship of their king, their Caesar. They were not committed to glorifying God. So planting a church there was rife with danger, with struggle, with a whole lot of people in the city being comfortable with their wealth 
with their religion, with their situation in life. They wouldn't have a lot of need in their minds for another religion. But as Paul will show us as we walk through the book of Philippians, what we all have is a need for Jesus Christ and to know him deeply and to invite others into that journey with him. So we've called this series B. And if you look, when the bulletins come out next week, we're not trying to go through the book of Philippians and tell everyone, do this, 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 and this, and then everything will be right in your life. We don't want to create checklists of doing the right things without the proper motivation. The key throughout every word of God's word is calling people unto himself, inviting them into a relationship with him through the finished work of Jesus Christ and saying, as Jesus said, follow me. Paul wrote the letter to Philippians saying, be joined together as you follow me, as you follow Christ. In fact, Paul boldly even says, follow me as I follow Christ. That's a bold statement, but Paul was so confident in who he was in Christ that he wanted others to be as excited about Jesus as he is. And the reason we chose B for our sermon series and the reason you see the weave, it looks, is when God gives us a church, he doesn't place a bunch of individuals in a room and say, figure it out on your own. It's like a tapestry or like a beautiful garment of clothing. I love uh, when I was in India last year uh, and I saw the colors of fabric that had been produced in Kolkata. It's just gorgeous. And I can say that. And it's beautiful. And the, the work that goes into those and how well woven the fabrics are, it's just beautiful. But it's nothing compared to a healthy church that is growing together in Christ because they know who they are. They are being disciples of Christ's. He has transformed them by the renewing of their minds and they will follow Christ and his leading wherever he takes them. And that brings us all the way to our scripture reading today. It's a short one, so don't blink because you'll miss it. One verse. And really, we're going to focus on just a few words. But Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, Great. So we know Paul wrote the letters. Timothy had something to do with it. And they are servants of Christ Jesus. Good for them. We already knew that. To all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. If I were to ask you to define a healthy church, you might have all sorts of definitions. Some of you might say, well, if we have good programs for the kids, it's a healthy church. Other other of you might say, well, we have to have good worship music that helps us sing together and praise together and, and, and that helps show that we're a healthy church. Others of you would say, if we're friendly, that shows we're a healthy church. Others of you would say, if we teach the word and we have this style of sermon, we're a healthy church. You know, the list is endless and all of those are absolutely good things. But today, I want to break it down and say the definition of a healthy church is really, really simple. And it starts here. If you notice, in Paul's introduction, there are four words strung together that are the focus of any church body, no matter how large or how small. 
Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus together with the overseers and deacons. Did you catch those four words? They're really complicated. In Christ together with. Four words. If we get those four words figured out, we're going to be a lot further along as a church body. First, we are going to know individually and collectively that we are Christ's church, that our identities are his, that everything we do, everything we say, every dollar we earn, every thought that comes into our mind is all Christ's. It's going to shape how we live. And as it shapes how we live, as we let the Jesus-given Holy Spirit infiltrate us and transform us, we can't help but be joyful in any in all situation because our lives are bigger than the circumstances surrounding us. Our lives are about Jesus Christ. And as we do that, if we understand the whole of this book, not once does it say, go do it by yourself. It doesn't say certain personalities are more loners than others. It doesn't say you might not find the church that fits you best, so it's okay to worship Christ at home on your own. Throughout the scriptures, this is a communal book. We are invited to be together with one another, working to bring glory to God. If we are in Christ, we're automatically going to come to the realization that we want to bring people in. We want people to know they are loved. And sometimes that's difficult to do. But it's a journey. And Paul, as he goes through the letter, is going to give a lot of credit to the Philippian church. He says in just a few verses later, I thank my God every time I remember you. He's proud of them because they've done it in community. He also mentioned some ladies that tended to gossip and argue with each other. And he said, figure it out. (laughs) Can we relate to that today? Do sometimes we have struggles, strife, disagreements, and you don't like the color of this, that, or the other? Yes. But in Christ Jesus, we are one family. We are in Christ, a new creation marked by the blood of the Lamb. And we're invited to walk this road together. And even there, it gives us an indication that when we are working together, God has given some very specific tasks to help the church be the church they are called to. Because we are all saints. If you've been adopted into the family of God by believing in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a saint. Are you perfect? No. But you are set apart for the work of God. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. Let's begin a little bit before that. Let's begin with servants. Because typically, if you're biblically astute, you realize that Paul starts most of his letters the same way. And this isn't Paul's normal greeting, is it? Paul's normal greeting does not say, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ. Normally, he reminds people of who God has called him to be, an apostle. It's, it's like Paul wants people to remember, and it is this way, he wants people to remember that God has given him this authority to speak, to train, and teach and protect God's 
flock as he plants these churches and he wants them to remember who God is and who he has called Paul to be. This time, he doesn't take that approach. This time, he says, we're servants, we're slaves. If you see in your notes, the word there, um, oh, yeah, the word there is doulos. Can anybody remember something that comes through every couple of years ago, that every few years that might have a similar name? The boat, the Operation Mobilization boat called the Doulas. What is their overarching goal wherever they go all over the world? To serve that community with the good news of Jesus Christ. To be slaves to everyone that walks through. And when you walk on and you get a tour of the Doulas, you realize two things really quickly. They work really hard and they do so joyfully. It's pretty amazing. I would... I want to say hate, but that's probably too strong. I really wouldn't enjoy that experience. It's a small boat for a lot of people. But they are faithfully serving God wherever he takes them. And they do it with joy. Paul says that me and Timothy are servants. We are adopted as sons of the Most High God but we are servants following the same example of Jesus Christ in chapter two. And it'll take us a while to get there. But one of the most important passages on understanding who Jesus is, is found in Philippians chapter two, verses five through 11. But Paul uses the same word there that he uses to refer to himself as a servant of Christ. The word is doulos. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Oops. Taking the very nature of a doulos, of a servant, of a slave, being made in human likeness. It's called the incarnation. And what that means is that Jesus Christ came down and while he was still fully God, became fully man. Elected not to use all of his godness, but took on the shape of a man, made himself nothing, and took on the very nature of a servant. He came as the son of a carpenter to the people that knew him. Now, he would have been adopted. Everyone knew that he was illegitimate. That wouldn't have been a well-kept secret. But as far as his upbringing, it was a poor one. He didn't ever elevate himself up. He invited others to serve along with him. And when Paul introduces he and Timothy, he introduces them as servants of Christ Jesus. It's a word that means slave. He wanted to say that I hope we all want to say that he was Christ's slave and that he longed, wished, and would do all in his power to serve his master obediently. The beginning of a healthy church is really, really simple. It's about Jesus Christ and being found in him and being obedient to him, being his slave, being his servant. Because it's heavy and it's bond, it's just a huge burden upon us? No. If you read Philippians, you can't help but realize, man, this guy's had a rough life, but yet he's so happy 
How is he so happy when he's been beaten? He's been shipwrecked. He's been bitten by a snake, one of my all-time fears. He's been beaten again. He's been stoned. He's been imprisoned three times. This guy did not have an easy life, yet he says, I consider it pure joy to suffer because he knows Jesus and he wants nothing more than to be found in him, to be his slave and to let the world know there's no better way to live. There's no better way to gain freedom than by saying, take my life and let it be. Here I am, Lord. And so Paul right away reminds the church in Philippi, the key value is we are in Christ and we are his slaves. We are his servants. We're to do his will. That's also a very subtle reminder that the church isn't about whoever's leading it at the time. The church is never just the sum of whoever its lead pastor is, whoever the elders are, whoever the governing committee is, the deacons are. The church is about Jesus Christ. If we lose sight of that, we become just another religion and we've missed the point. But Paul, right off the bat, says, I am a servant of Christ. I will obey him, and I have been called to make him known. And I'm going to give you, the church in Philippi, some pointers and some reminders as we go through this journey and as I celebrate what God has done with you. We're invited to follow the example of Paul, as he'll tell us in chapter 4 to be servants of Christ Jesus. Then he goes in and we realize who he's written the letter to. The first batch that he's written the letter to, saints. Now there's a common idiom in English that we say, I'm no saint. Don't judge me for my wrongdoing because I'm no saint. Well, it's, it feels good. And if we're saying we're not perfect, it's true. But interestingly... It's not true because if we are found in Christ Jesus, we've been washed by the blood, adopted into his family, sons and daughters of the Most High God, and we have been set apart for his work. What is a saint? It's one that has been set apart for the work of God. It's not a complicated definition. God has brought each of us here for such a time as this. And he invites us to use the abilities, the gifts, and the resources he's given to do the work of his kingdom while here on earth. That's the job of the saints. It's pretty simple. Well, how did we see it worked out in the, in the church in Philippi between when Paul planted the church and where it went along? Well, it's pretty amazing because on a couple of occasions, Paul found himself in dire straits. And from what we read, not a lot of help was being brought to him, except through a man named Epaphras. One, probably don't name your kid Epaphras. He's going to get made fun of. But two, wow, we're tired today. But two, Epaphras was likely a church leader, maybe an elder, maybe actually a bishop or what was known as a pastor. They were all the same role in the same word in Greek, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But Epaphras was sent to Paul to take care of him. 
And we actually read later on in Philippians that he took care of Paul physically until he himself got sick and Paul was sending him back so that the church in Philippi wasn't worried about him. But the church in Philippi, even though they were heavily persecuted, they were probably struggling dearly, were also a church that was committed to giving out of what God had given to them, not out of their comfort. Uh Uh-oh, sounds like Mike's about to talk about money. I am, and I love it. Because the church in Philippi got something that I think the church of today misses. It's all God's money anyway. We want to do everything in our power, giving of ourselves, giving of all of our resources to continue the work of building God's kingdom to every last end of the earth and locally. And so what was Epaphras charged to do? Take resources to Paul to use them to further the kingdom work. They were a generous church. They were a church that gave out of the joy of following the Lord, not because they had to. They wanted to see the work continue and they knew the work couldn't continue without funds and they had funds. It seems as you read through the context of the later half of Acts and you read the book and the letters that surround it, that the church in Philippi would give sacrificially. They would give even when they were suffering. They would give even when it was difficult because nothing mattered more to them than being found in Christ. Were they perfect? No. But they were dedicated. They were committed, as we'll talk about in a moment, to furthering God's work wherever God invited them to partner. What's that look like for us today? Well, I get to stand up here and tell you about work that's being done in a place called India. Now, some of you have been there, others have not, but in West Bengal, India, is one of the most unreached areas in the entire world. And we have a dear friend and brother in Christ named Ashok Andrews that is part of a ministry called JKPS that goes into the most dangerous spots in that region to send out church planners to build a church. And we get to help them. We are currently in the process of sponsoring five church planners that they will then be trained in biblical studies and be trained to be a church planner in some dark areas and they will go out and they will do all they can, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to be light in some dark, dark situations. We have other friends in Congo, Africa, Some of you remember Joyce and Henri Samatu. They are an amazing couple. They are called tent makers because not only do they want to be missionaries that carry the good news of Jesus Christ, but they want to use the skills that God has given them for his glory. And so while they could be very successful doctors anywhere else in the world, they said, no, let's go to Congo. Let's find a tremendously remote area and let's set up an eye hospital so that we can give sight to those that would be blind without it. And they can save lives. And they do all sorts of medicine, not just eye care. But when they were here last year, they brought to us a need. And they said, we could really use a vehicle that the brakes work in. (laughs) Seems like a valid request. Because if you start a car, you would like it to stop. Correct? Is anyone with me this morning? Wow. We need brighter lights in here today. I don't know what is going on. But anyway, 
the poor Samatu family would have to come to rolling stops. So wherever they were getting to, they'd have to know hundreds of meters in advance or need holes or trees to bounce into so they could stop. The brakes weren't completely unfunctional, but they weren't working well, and it was certainly not a safe car to which they could transport three kids around. But Joyce and Henri weren't asking for help to get a vehicle for that reason. When they came to us as deacons, as under-shepherds, overseers of the church, they came saying, we would love to be able to take the gospel further inward, further to places that have never heard the good news of Jesus Christ. But we can't get there without a vehicle. We long to plant a church. Well, guess what? That got us pretty excited. We wanted to be able to be a part of that. And some of you gave so faithfully to make it happen that on Christmas Eve, they were delivered their new truck and they are safely traveling around the region of Congo proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. When you give, we give to further the kingdom of God both locally and beyond. And those are just two stories. I could tell you many, many more stories of how when the church gives of its resources and we're able to give those away, God can do mighty things. If we hang on to it ourselves, God can still work but we're not using and being obedient to that which he's given us. So we're only really cheating ourselves. It's all the Lord's anyway. I told the GC last, the governing committee, what we call our deacons last week, that it wasn't my prayer to try to talk you all into giving more money this year. We are under budget, not gonna lie to you. So if I come to you and need to sleep on your couch, you'll know why. Wow. But... What we are is a church with an opportunity. If everyone would commit to giving a little of what God was given to them, I guarantee we wouldn't have budget issues because we have the joy of the Lord that says, it's all yours, God. Take it and use it for your glory. I'm not asking you to pay my salary or my staff salary or anyone else. It's our church. It's God's church. He will provide. I don't worry about that. But I want you to know the joy of giving. I want us to know the joy of prayerfully seeing God's money used for his glory in places like Congo, in places like the Philippines, in places like Kolkata, in China and beyond and locally right here. See that candle? It's lit again because we're able to partner with a prison ministry and some of you are faithful enough to go into that setting and tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's why we, yeah, we should be excited. Wake up. So if we are to be a church, we are in Christ, slaves of his. We are made to be saints that care for what he has given us, using our gifts and our abilities to bring glory to him. That brings me to another point. You see, when Paul wrote another letter to the church in Corinth, he connected the idea that the saints are the church. He said that the church of God that is in Corinth to those sanctified... In Christ Jesus, sanctification, big word, hugely important. It means set apart, okay? Really fancy. It basically means that our lives are no longer our own. We have given them wholly to God. And we have said, I will go wherever you lead and my entire journey in life is to be more like Jesus Christ as he draws me unto himself. It's the process and work of sanctification. Now, we could talk about that for years and years and years, but that's the idea. Those sanctified in Christ are called to be what? 
Ah, saints, together with all those in every place who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. In other words, right now and at different times all over the world, people are worshiping the same Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All of his saints get together, whether large or small, and get together to worship the very person of Jesus Christ. The body of saints gets together and says, here I am, Lord. I want to worship you. Use me for your glory, for your work. That's what the saints do. And you, you know, we're told, Paul will later on in this book and in Romans as well, and Peter also talks about the idea of spiritual gifts, that you, God's people, and I, God's people, have been equipped with gifts that we are to use to do his work. Because guess what? If you look at my desk you will learn some things about me. One, I really like to read. Two, I am not particularly organized. Three, administration isn't at the high end of my priority list. If you ask me to fill out paperwork, give me a month if you're lucky because I will forget. Now, is that an excuse? No, (laughs) I will do my best. But however, I'm not spiritually gifted in that area of ministry. It's not a strength of mine. God has invited me to teach. He's invited me to lead in some other ways. And I have to be faithful to that. But I also have to be able to ask for help and say help. The key to being the church that is in Christ, that is full of his servants, is that when we ask for help, the church says, yes. We break down as a church when we say somebody else can do it. When we say, could you ask someone else? I'm too busy. Why do I say that? Because there is nothing higher than the priority of being the church for the glory of God and carrying his name by making disciples of all nations. You have no higher task. It's that simple. That's the theme of the book of Philippians. We have no task higher than bringing glory to God the Father through the work of Jesus Christ, his son, by making disciples of all nations. And we are going to do everything in our power to do just that. That's the work of the church. You want to be a healthy church? Well, you get together with a couple of groups of people because we in churches need leadership. Have you ever gotten a group of people together for a team-building activity where a leader hasn't been assigned? You ever seen that happen? Come on, you've all been in schools and workplaces where they try to do the team-building activities. They're horrible, right? You stand around and you hope somebody else will step up or somebody does step up and then everyone criticizes their attempt at leadership and it just blows up often, doesn't it? Because what happens? We haven't set apart those to help us fulfill the vision that we have been invited to. If you're doing a high ropes course at Outward Bound in Sai Kung, you need somebody to go first to get to the other side. If nobody does that, it's going to make the job a lot harder, correct? In the church... We need overseers, elders. We call them under shepherds to help protect us. What's protection mean? It means guard the church against false teaching, okay? We need to make sure we're protecting you from that. We also need to be a church that prays. And the elders, the overseers, the, the, the under shepherds in our case must be men of prayer, How do I know that? 
because when they realized they were focused on other things and they couldn't get to prayer, they needed to appoint others to make sure they were committed to prayer and the ministry of the word. You see, a good elder, a good overseer, a good under-shepherd is one that cares for the flock, that shepherds the flock by protecting them, by praying for them, and by teaching them. Look what was going on in 1 Peter. Look at what Peter teaches us. Peter equates being an apostle with being an elder, and he does so flawlessly. He says they're together in this. Now, there were very few apostles, but there can be many elders. And here, Peter gives us a very clear picture of what an overseer, in our case, an under-shepherd, is all about. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. They're caring. Servants, serving as overseers. Not because you must, but because you are willing. It pains me when the church and the elders identify people that we feel could be good elders and go through that journey with us, but they don't want to. They're unwilling. Because we can see something in them that sometimes they say is not there. It shows sometimes that we're not ready to be who God has called us to be. Other times there are legitimate roadblocks that we need to be careful of. But we long to be a church that is raising up overseers and elders and under shepherds that are excited to serve you, that are excited to care for you and teach you and pray for you. Now, we should all be praying one for another. Don't misunderstand. But not only that, but we're not focused on the money. Back then, people that led a church could pocket the money and get nice and rich if they were in the right settings. We've seen that throughout church history. That's not the goal. That's why uh, I try very hard not to deal with church finances other than be aware of them. I don't sign checks. Uh, I don't do that without having at least one other signatory. There's things in place to protect us from ourselves. Those are good things because we don't want to be greedy for money. We want to be eager to serve. Not lording it over you saying, look it, I'm an elder. I'm an overseer. I'm a a shepherd. I am an under-shepherd. Look at me. No, some of you might not even know who the servants that are your under-shepherds are. Well, you saw some of them when they led communion this morning. It's not their only job. They're teachers. They're prayer warriors. They're leading by example to the flock. Some of you may have the qualifications necessary to follow as well, to be an elder, to be an under-shepherd. Paul and Timothy could fit that bill. What about us? If God invites us to be an under-shepherd, an elder, an overseer, would we do it willingly? Or would we say, go find somebody else? It's a key task. The ministry of the word is huge. I cannot go spend time with every one of you. But if there's a group of us, we can get together. We can care for the community groups. We can care for the flock in creative ways. But see, what happens is if the only thing you have in a church is a group of under-shepherds, a group of overseers doing everything, what do they get caught up in doing? The administration. If you flip in your Bibles back to Acts chapter 6, the church was blowing up. God was working. Money was coming in. Materials were coming in. Widows and orphans were being fed. But controversy was starting to be developed because not all the widows and orphans and least of these were being cared for in the same way as others. And it began to take a toll on the apostles' time. The overseers of the church were supposed to be teaching these new believers how to live and how to follow Jesus Christ and what that meant. But instead, they were working on solving disputes. They were working on literally serving tables. 
But they don't say that the problem was that they were serving tables. That that was a tremendous opportunity is actually what the, the, the attitude of that verse, that passage teaches us. But they needed help. And that's where the diaconos comes in. Because the deacons of the church are called to be servants. Again, this word is going to keep coming up. Jesus' words himself, same word, diaconos. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. One that will serve others joyfully. Will we do that? Or are we looking at our clocks thinking we got to get out of here fast? Even as the Son of Man, again, following the example of Jesus, he tells us, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Would we be willing to pour out our lives so that others can see Christ in us, the hope of glory? We need deacons. In our case, we call them for a little longer. We're going to be changing the names pretty soon. So keep watch, pay attention. But right now they're called the governing committee. They help care not just for the administration of the church, but as you see in your notes, what do deacons do? Well, deacons care through administration, love, and support. It's critical that they do that. That when they work together, you get to that Acts 6 passage, it's not right that the elders, the apostles in this case, should give up the preaching of the word to what they'd been called to serve tables. Therefore, they were called to pick out a group of men, seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, who they will point to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and ministry of the word. They needed help. If the overseers, the under shepherds in our case, are to faithfully lead, teach, protect, and care for you, we need people to come alongside that care for the finances that care to make sure that we are giving to the needy, that we are involved and actively engaged in the ministry of life and that we give you the resources you need to do just such as that. Why don't we try to charge much money for our uh, discipleship class materials? Because the governing committee feels it's a good idea to make sure that all can have access to that. Why do we try to give to the poor whenever we can? Because the governing committee is deeply committed to reaching the gospel, reaching the lost through the ministry to the poor. They are constantly searching, how can we invest in others? A deacon is a servant that uses their hands and their feet for the glory of God to love the flock, to care for the flock, and to administer what God has given us. We need elders and overseers desperately. We need deacons just as desperately that will faithfully help us be the church we are called to be. So what about AIC? What do we do? Well, if you look at the end, and remember, this is Paul's greeting. Paul says a lot in one verse, doesn't he? Servants in Christ together with all the saints and the overseers and deacons. He gives us a picture that if we're being the church we're called to, we are going to be servants of the Most High God. We are in Christ working together. If your gift is hospitality, what should you do with that gift? Entertain early and often. If your gift is teaching and we come to you and we say, you know what, we feel God has specifically gifted you in this way, you should say, great, I would love to use my abilities for God's glory. One of the saddest things I can hear in the life of a church is, you know what, I'm really tired. 
I don't have time. Because you know what you find time and again? The people that are most content, the people that are, have the least amount of disposable time are often those that are the most joyful because they're giving of that time to the Lord and they're saying, God will renew my strength on wings of eagles. I'm trusting him. He will sustain me. He will guide me if I invite him to. And I'm going to be involved in his work. We have one of our under shepherds. I'm not going to give his name. But that man spends almost as much time in China building up the local church in a specific part of China as he does here. And yet, rarely is that man not joyful. He's had bad days. But he's a man that loves the Lord and is faithful with making disciples of wherever God gives him the invitation to. And he pours out his life to do that as best he can. Is he perfect? No. Neither are we. But he is aware that he has been called as an evangelist to carry that name of Jesus wherever God would have it. What are we called to? We are called to be the church that is in Christ. And we are called to work together with the saints to bring glory to him. How do we apply that? Well, it's pretty simple. We're going to be servants. We're going to grow together. We're going to be faithful and we're going to be committed. Why do I like church membership even though you can't find it in the Bible? Because it's a commitment. It says, I'm in. I'm going to use my resources. I'm going to use my time. I'm going to use my abilities. I'm going to use my skills for the glory of God. And I'm making a contractual covenant to do just that. You see it in your notes there at the bottom that we say it like this that AIC, sorry for the typo, should be will, not with, will faithfully and joyfully commit ourselves to glorifying God by committing to loving Christ, love one another, and make disciples of all nations. Sounds an awful lot like our vision statement, doesn't it? Think of it like this as we close. Years ago, when I was still a, a youth minister, I loved the idea of caller ID because I would know who was calling me. And if one of my students called me, I probably had a nickname for them or a funny way to welcome them. And certain ones I would say, uh, if it was guys, just to pick out them and say, hey, good looking, how you doing? In theory, that's a great thing. Know that I'm excited to talk to them on the phone. Well, one, one student in particular would call me every once in a while just to check in or ask a question of something. But what had happened is when I had typed in names and addresses, I put home phone number, cell phone number, parents' phone number, all under his information. So what happened one day is his mother needed to talk to me. And I answered the phone and said, hey, good looking, how you doing? Thinking it was my student. It was not my student. I hear this, hey, Mike. I'm like, oh. I apologized. We had a wonderful conversation. She was very gracious in that. Two weeks later, I did it again. Not looking at the detail of which number was being called. We do the same thing in our relationship with Christ. We get so excited about looking at the world through our eyes that we forget to see who the sender really is. The incoming call really is Jesus Christ, inviting us to follow him all the days of our life and to answer his call, not to tell him, I'll do it on my terms.
Will we do that? Will we be a church that is hidden in Christ, adopted as his family, his saints, working together for his glory? Will we be the church? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this wonderful letter to the church in Philippi. I pray that as we walk this road together this year and as we celebrate 10 years together of growing, that we would do just that, that we would grow to be more like your son, that we would follow the example of those like Paul and others that have gone before us, that the world would see you in us and rejoice, and that we would be a church that raises up saints, some of whom become overseers, under-shepherds in our case, others who become deacons, others evangelists, teachers, hosts, administrators, servants, but most importantly, worshipers of you, disciples of you. In your name I pray, amen. Please stand with us once again. Our saints and servants, God's